Welcome to Samford University's Campus Worship. We hope you enjoy the presentation. It is an honor to be here with you guys this morning. Wow, this is a lot of people. Either you guys are really hungry for Jesus or you're really desperate to get convo credits. I'm going to choose to believe it's a mixture of the two. It's hard for me to believe uh, 2016, like Matt said, one, it, Matt, it's terrifying that I've known you for 10 years. I don't know what that's, if that's good or bad, but it, it just is what it is. That's good. Okay, that's good. <laughs> uh, 2006, I was a freshman. That was 10 years ago. I was 18, uh, from Florida, Tallahassee, Florida. This is embarrassing. I remember I got on my parents' minivan for Connections. I can't believe I'm about to tell you this. I was wearing Crocs. I didn't, I didn't know any better. And today I'm wearing Clark's Desert Boots, to be precise. So a lot, a lot has changed. I can remember I knew nothing of Stepsing. And my freshman year, this guy, I was uh, working in the Student Life Center as the assistant to the assistant. It was like Dwight Schrute, but worse. And somebody told me about Stepsing, and I thought, I don't know what that is. That sounds dumb. And they're like, no, it's fun. You sing and you dance. That sounds dumb, but it's really fun. And they said, a lot of, we just messed around and we goof off the whole time. I said, okay, that, I'm in now. And it was a group called Dudes of Plenty. In that year, we did Monsters. So I know a lot of people have watched that. And then, uh, like Matt said, I was a part of Dudes. That was kind of my life, which is weird. Um, by the way, Dudes of Plenty, did you know that comes from a Conan O'Brien skit? So, fun fact, NSYNC Backstreet Boys, who doesn't love them, right? At the time, Conan O'Brien said, well, if I had my own boy band, I'd, be, I'd call them Dudes of Plenty. And so that's your fun fact for the day. That's how Dudes of Plenty came about, was Conan O'Brien, Team Coco. But we're here today to be in John 9. And after uh, uh, Sanford, I, I went to Beeston, graduated from Beeston in 2013. Now I'm on staff uh, at a church here in Birmingham working with high school and college students, and it's been a joy, and it is unbelievable to think that we have a one-year-old son. He just turned one on Sunday, March 6th. And he's walking, and his name's Hudson. I should have brought a picture. He's fantastic. A lot of you, if you're from Birmingham or Alabama, you probably know my wife, Meredith, because she does work in the admissions office, and it's been a, it's just a, a crazy ride to be here with you. So let's open up to John 9 and, um, and just see what God has to say to us today and how he wants to show up. By the way, Kara and Eric, thank you so much. That was so powerful uh, for leading us in worship. We, when I was here, we didn't have campus worship, and that was amazing. That was absolutely incredible. So with that said, let's turn to John 9, as Kara already read for us, and it's powerful in this stunning uh, chapter and this stunning passage. What's amazing to me is that Sanford's had a profound impact on my life as a disciple of Jesus Christ, but so is the book of John. And it's just amazing for me to be here today and for us to look at these two things together. The, the Gospel of John on Sanford's campus with incredible Sanford students. And what's amazing about the Gospel of John is that John has a clear purpose. He wants to convince you. He wants you to know Jesus. He wants to share the Gospel with you. He wants you to know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that when you believe in his name, you may have life. And John doesn't make any apologies about that, according to John 20, verse 30 and 31. And it's interesting, when you set up the book of John, you can split the book of John into two parts. The first half, John 1 uh, to 12, chapters 1 to 12, is Jesus' work 
to identify himself as the Messiah through these seven signs. And then when you hit chapter 13 and you work your way all the way to chapter 21, Jesus demonstrates that he is the Messiah by going to the cross as the Lamb of God who would be slain for the sins of the world. He is here to convince. But astounds me about the Gospel of John, and many people have said this throughout the history of the church, the Gospel of John is so simple, a child can understand it, yet at the same time it is so deep, we can't exhaust it at any point in time. It's much like the scriptures as a whole, but the Gospel of John puts that on supreme note for us all to see. In John chapter 9, is no, uh, makes no difference in this matter. John chapter 9 is incredibly simple, yet is incredibly deep. And in John chapter 9, Jesus wants us to see one simple thing this morning that changes everything in our lives, everything in our conversations, everything in our relationships, everything in the way we go to class, everything in the internships that we take, everything that we do at Sanford and beyond. And it's this, that Jesus is the light of the world. Kara already read it in verse 1. Jesus and his disciples are passing by, and they see a man born, a man that was blind from birth. What astounds me about the gospel is it's not just the works that Jesus does, but who Jesus is. And every time we come to the gospels, we always have to ask not just what Jesus did, but who Jesus is. And what amazes me about verse 1 is that Jesus is a God who takes initiative. He notices the man born blind. When I was growing up, we used to live in right outside Washington, D.C. My dad worked uh, and still works for the Department of Transportation. And so we would go to D.C. all the time. We lived in Falls Church, Virginia. It was only 30 minutes outside. And when we take the metro, every time we get off the metro, the train, we'd always see homeless people begging. And this is exactly what happens with Jesus and the disciples. And the disciples in verse 2 ask Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus gives them the answer. What I love about Jesus is that he is the supreme teacher. He's always teaching us to ask better questions. It's not that the disciples in verse 2 asked a wrong question. It's that they weren't, that they, they could ask a much better question. In verse 2, the disciples see just a theological puzzle, right? They just see a problem. They see something to be solved. They see a discussion to be had. They see somebody who can entertain them for a little bit. But in verse 3, Jesus sees something so much more. Jesus answers, it wasn't that this man has sinned, or that his parents have sinned, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Immediately, the question is set before us. How do we view others? Like, as you go about your day, how do you view other people? Especially the downtrodden and the outcast, those that are suffering, the beggar on the street, the blind that you see. If you're trying to make your way to the summit and you leave uh, Sanford and you take a left on Lakeshore and you're going right up to the summit on 280. And then when you make your way back and you're going to come back on Lakeshore and hang a left, you usually always see a homeless person with a sign, right? God bless. Anything you can do will help. And sometimes in our head we're thinking, Dude, just get a job, right? You probably wrecked your life and those around you. You probably have a substance abuse problem. Go get help. Go to Brother Brian, right? Go to the firehouse shelter. Just do something. 
And then sometimes we begin to ask, what happened to this guy that put him in this position? And it's just a quick conversation and a quick thought, but Jesus makes us remember the words of C.S. Lewis from The Weight of Glory. We've never met a mere mortal. Everybody in this room today, everybody that we will ever meet, every conversation that we have, the people that we make fun of, the people that we talk with, the people that we enjoy conversation with, the people that we have bitterness and anger towards, the blind, the homeless, and the hungry, all of these people have stories and they are not something to merely entertain or a problem to be solved. They are people to be enjoyed because God has created them. And Jesus says in verse 3, they are meant for the work of God to be put on display. I got to be honest, I hunger for that view of people. My selfishness, my pettiness gets in the way. And this is what Jesus was trying to teach the disciples. But Jesus was also trying to do still so much more. Look at verses 4 and 5. In verses 4 and 5, Jesus just doesn't answer their question. He goes on to make an emphatic point about who he is. Because as we see in verses 1 to 5, Jesus wants us to first and foremost see who he is. In verse 4 and 5, he lays it out even more. He says, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming. When no one can work, but as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. A few things stand out to us from verses 4 and 5. And the first is this. What I love about how verse 4 begins, Jesus uses an inclusive language of we. Jesus doesn't say that I must work the works of him who sent me. He's talking to disciples and he says we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. This is an image of while Jesus is with us on the earth as the incarnate one, and night is coming when he will be going to his death on the cross before he returns to the Father after the resurrection. And Jesus says, until then, we have a lot of work to do, and Jesus is urgent. And what's powerful about verses 4 and 5 what astounds me is that Jesus doesn't just talk about himself. He includes students, you and I in this work that are followers of Jesus Christ. And later in John chapter 14, verse 12, he says that greater works you will do when I leave. What? Have you ever had a conversation with somebody and you're trying to share the gospel with them? And they have said to you, if I could just see Jesus, if I could just meet Jesus, or if my friends could just see Jesus, if my friends could just meet Jesus, then I know that they would believe and I know that I could believe and this would be enough evidence for me. I hear this all the time. But John chapter 14, verse 12 says this is not the case at all. And in fact, as you continue throughout the gospels, especially in chapter 9, Jesus was there. And Jesus was a sword of division that people didn't believe him even when he was there. And the greater works that we can do is now the light of the world working in us and through us because his spirit is now in us and through us, multiplying the work of his discipleship ministry, he, starting here and to the ends of the earth. This is astounding. But the second thing is this. Jesus makes his claim that he is the light of the world. And this is where the depth of John, but yet the simplicity of John comes into play. Because the simplicity on the surface that Jesus is dealing with a man born blind, but yet in John chapter 9, Jesus is saying all of us have born spiritually blind. All of us. 
So the greater question isn't why is this man born blind? The greater question that Jesus wants us to see is, have you received your sight from me, the light of the world, the only one that can take away your sins? It's funny, when I was at Sanford, I didn't always wear glasses. And I went to Beeson and my vision was pretty good. But then towards the end of Beeson, I can remember being in the back of the room. So for those of you who are in the back of the chapel today, I applaud you, that would have been me. And you're looking up front and you're going, man, I can see. But then I remember towards the end going, that board's blurry. And then I'm thinking, I'm just stressed. I'm just tired. I've watched too much of The Office. I need to just put that down and go to sleep. Maybe I'm not getting enough caffeine. And I can remember after Beeson, uh, when Meredith and I were married and I, we were watching a football game and I just told Meredith, I was like, let's just go to bed. They're getting killed. This game's almost over. And she looks at me and she says, what's the score? I was like, I don't know, three to 24? No, I think it's more like three to six. And she says, what, what quarter is it? I was like, oh, it's the fourth. No, it's only the second. I was like, what? And she says, you need to get your vision checked. I'm like, no, nah, I don't need to do that. And then what makes it worse is she gets my mom involved. So you got your wife on one end and your mom on the other, and they're both telling you you're blind. Fine, okay, I'll get my eye checked. So I'm, you know, I'm at the, I'm at the eye doctor, and you know, and I love the one or two. Two, okay, one or two, two, okay, three or four, okay, three. Right, and they keep going between all these things, and I'm like, oh, I'm, and he says, okay, read the chart on the back of the room, and I'm reading it. I'm thinking my inside, I'm, I just killed it. And then he moves the machine away from my face. He goes, now read it, and I'm going. And I looked at him and I said, I can't see that thing for anything. And I just had this moment, it was like an intervention. Right? Like I've never done hardcore drugs, but I feel like that was an intervening moment in my life of going, oh my, what happened, right? And like in the chain, I'm like, I'm weeping on the inside, but not on the outside. And it's just, it's messy, it's just ugly. And the doctor looks at me and I'm, I'm just, I'm thanking God, Meredith was not in the room at the time because I know in humility, I'd have to tell her how right she was and the pride in me who just did not want to do that. And I look at the, the doctor's like, what happened? And he says, honestly, it just, it hit this, it was just a slow fade and you hit this point of no return and now this is where you're at. And the only thing I could think of is Warby Parker. But these are not, these are knockoff. These are like, these are like cheaper version anyways. It's, it's crazy. It's science, I'd explain it, but I can't. And um. And this is what happens, that Jesus is trying to get us to see that we are all spiritually blind. All of us. At one point, all of us have been. And we all know people in our lives, in our relationships that are spiritually blind, that they need to see Jesus as the light of the world. And so like good fashion for the gospel of John. He declares who he is and then he demonstrates who he is by a sign. And this is how Jesus demonstrates it in verses six and seven. Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. And then he anointed the man's eyes with mud. That's just weird, right? Like I've never, like I remember watching like the Titanic when I was a kid and, and Leonardo DiCaprio, praise God, he just won an Oscar, right? But he, he was teaching Rose how to spit. And that's all I can think of sometimes when I read John 9, verses 6 and 7. Like Jesus is spitting on the ground. 
It's just this real vivid imagery, and he's taking it, and he's rubbing it in the mud, and he takes it, and he puts it on this guy's eyes. And then in verse 7, and he says to him, go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. And so he went and he washed and came back seeing. Now, we could debate now, why did Jesus use saliva? And people ask the question, then why mud? And Jesus never heals anybody the same way twice. And why for the uniqueness? Well, at the very least, Jesus does meet the needs of those on an individual basis. But at the very least is this. Jesus is trying to further establish who he is because he declares, I am the light of the world. And he demonstrates his authority over creation because he's saying that I am the Lord over creation. Just like in Genesis 1 and 2, when man came from the ground, I am healing this man by means of the ground. And I want you to see me as the creator, but not just as the creator, as bringing about the new creation that Jesus is the Lord of creation and redemption. And we know this from Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and 20. It's all about Christ. At the very least, this is what Jesus is trying to communicate. The very God that brought Adam from the ground is the very one who can heal us by means of the ground. He is Lord over it all. But then what's astounding in verse 7 is that Jesus now sends this man having authority over him to go to the pool of Siloam, Siloam, which means sent. And John is very clear in his gospel. Jesus is the sent one from the Father. And he says, so as the Father has sent me, so now I'm sending you. And what astounds me in verse 7 is that the man born blind was immediately obedient. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, are we immediately obedient to Jesus Christ? Right in our world today, we want everything immediate. I don't know about you. I want my discipleship when I came here to, to Sanford. I wanted it to be immediate. I was the guy wearing Crocs, and now I'm wearing Clarks. And it was a long journey in the same direction, to quote Eugene Peterson, for discipleship. And this is how it takes place. But what Jesus wants is immediate Obedience. Jesus doesn't want delayed obedience. I mean, the command is just go and wash in the pool of Siloam. This is the same way that Jesus tells the disciples in the Great Commission of Matthew 28, go. Not after Stanford when you finally got your degree and you think that you're ready and you've been a part of Office of Spiritual Life or Campus Outreach or RUF or, the, or any other church in town or college ministry. But as you go, make disciples. And we have to be immediately obedient to this. And sometimes this passage convicts because the man born blind is more obedient than I am. And at this point, he doesn't even know who Jesus fully is. Because we see this in verses 8 to 12 that we've seen the identity of Jesus, that we've seen the signs and the miracle and the working of Jesus who does this work because he says that I'm the Lord of creation, I'm the Lord of redemption, and at one point I am going to make everything new because as J.I. Packer says, it's only Jesus, it's only Christianity, it's only our story that ends in happily ever after. And Jesus is saying, I am the light of the world who will do this. And the only question you have to ask yourself is, do you believe and because the man born blind believed, there is a noticeable difference in him in verses 8 to 12. The neighbors saw him. The neighbors didn't recognize him. 
There was a notable difference in this man. And in verse 9, they're asking, I don't know, is he? Maybe not, but he looks the same, but he surely sees, but he was a beggar, but now he's walking. He knows everything that's going on. In verse 9, the man born blind says, I am he. It's funny, I, yesterday, I even had lunch with a college student. And the gospel of John is calling us to believe the gospel, but he's calling us to be a witness of the gospel. And the man born blind does this as verses 8 to 12. And we see how we are to be a witness for Jesus. And so yesterday I had lunch with a college student who's not a believer. And I, and I just asked, and I asked him, I, I said, man, I got to be honest. I, I, want, I just want you to know Jesus. I'm not a really great witness. I'm not a great evangelist. I I just, I want people to know Jesus because I know that Jesus can calm the winds and the waves. I know what he's done in my life. And I just want people to know him. So I just shared this with the guy. I said, I just want you to know Jesus. And he says, dude, that means a lot. He said, but I I gotta be honest. I, I need evidence. I need to know that this is real. I need to know that this is going to make a difference. And I'm genuinely struggling with that. And I I just love the humility of this guy's question yesterday because the greatest evidence that we can give people to the gospel of Jesus Christ and who God is and who Jesus is, is the evidence of a changed life. As I met with the student, I thought he wanted to know about the world began and can I really trust the Bible and was Jesus real and at the end of the day these answers are worth diving into but there's always an insufficiency to them if we're being honest and the greatest evidence that we can give people is to change life and this is what the man born blind does because he just simply recounts this story and this is what I love about the man born blind he is a really honest and humble witness for Jesus Christ because he says this so how did he heal you and he answers I don't know the man you call Jesus made mud anointed my eyes he said go to the pool I went to the pool I washed and I received sight and they said to him where is he and he said I don't know and that's just how our passage ends today I don't know I don't know I love the humility that is in this passage And when I met with that guy yesterday, and this is, I think, an encouragement for all of us as disciples of Jesus Christ. First and foremost, this passage is calling us to know him. But second, if we know him, this passage is calling us to be a witness for him. And we can genuinely, honestly, even point people to Jesus by simply saying, I don't know. This is what this man does. One of the greatest things that happened to me at Sanford was diving into the word being committed to the local church, having great friendships and mentors that guided me to look like Jesus and help me walk with Jesus. Uh, but one of those uh, people too is, uh, is, is getting to know just the life and the works of C.S. Lewis. And this is probably uh, the best thing that Matt helped me with. Because there was a time in my life where I genuinely struggled with questions myself and, and it was great. Uh, Matt and other people pointed me to Lewis and I think Lewis can help us with this passage. And he says this, if we're talking about sight, if we're talking about our eyes, C.S. Lewis, I think this is a helpful quote to end our time together today. He says this, I believe in Christianity like I believe that the sun has risen. Not just because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. 
And this is what the man born blind was trying to communicate to his neighbors and to his friends. I believe in Jesus Christ, not just because I've seen him, not just because he's enabled me to see, but because by him I'm able to see everything else around me. And as John 9 continues to unfold, this is what we clearly see because Jesus is the light of the world, not just because we see him, because by him we see everything else because by him, he wants the world to see him so that they can know him too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are grateful today to come to you, to come to your word. Father, though that we wrestle with questions of suffering, of doubt, Lord, we wrestle with questions of pain, of bitterness, of insecurity. Lord, that you stand at the helm of it all, taking initiative and letting us know that you are the light of the world that you have healed us, you've redeemed us from our brokenness, Lord, that you want us to know you, that you are the Lord of creation and redemption, that you're coming back to make all things right that have gone wrong. And Lord, that you've given us work to do to simply point people to you. And even in our honesty and humility, to even point them to you by simply declaring, I don't know. But I know Jesus, and I know he made a difference in my life. Lord, may we be able to stand with the man born blind and declare that same thing because you've given us sight to see, and this is amazing grace. And we ask this, and we pray this in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. For more information about Samford University, check out samford.edu.